This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, the Premier League and the FA Cup all at the same time. Doesn't feel right to me, but that's what we've got to work with. Arsenal go five points clear at the top after an ultimately very straightforward shooing of Everton. Saka's brilliance got the ball rolling before Adjusa Ghana Gay went into standby mode just before half-time. Another couple after the break and the title is in their hands. Also, Liverpool beat Wolves to creep towards the top four. And then get your haddocks out as Grimsby reached the FA Cup quarterfinal for the first time since 1939. Also, just when you think Spurs have turned a corner, they go back to pick something up. A bleak performance at Bramall Lane sees them knocked out by Sheffield United B. Blackburn get a deserved win at Leicester as half of the last eight come from the EFL. Elsewhere, there's Ivan Tony's betting charge, some good news for Southend and a lot of very remote pod listeners. As always, we take your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello. Hello, Lars Sivertson. Hi, Max. And hello, John Bruin. I should say for the tape, I'm outside in case you hear wildlife or children. Let's start the Premier League. I don't know if we should start with the FA Cup or the Premier League. It's the Cup of Dreams, John. Do you think we're right to start with Arsenal going five points clear? Yeah, I think so. Uh, A significant result. We now know there are no games in hand to play with. 13 games to play, five points the lead. Arsenal have recovered their step with three wins, uh, and fairly impressively so. Everton were okay until they conceded, and then were nothing after that. And that's the problem with Everton, as we know, they just can't score goals or sign a player that can score goals. Um, Big job for Sean Dyche there, but Saka, uh, his goal, which set the tone, absolutely brilliant goal, absolutely brilliant player, we're into the realms of the uh, award season. Saka's got to be up there, hasn't he, for player of the season. He's been absolutely ins- inspirational for them. Uh, and you mentioned it in the intro. Some VAR fun uh, for the second goal scored by Martinelli. Uh, watching that, no one really knew the rules again, or the laws, sorry. I know it's the laws. But Idris Agui just sort of fell asleep and then was praying that VAR would deal him out because he just... You know, he adopted the pose of someone who just thought, did I leave the gas on? Yeah, like, like you're, you're so right. Jacob says, is Dyche the kind of manager that can teach Everton the value of man on? I can't, Barry, I can't think of anything on a football pitch that would anger Sean Dyche more than than, than just sort of standing there and, and just not getting on with it. Yeah, it's pretty inexplicable, I suppose, but... It's indicative of how Everton's season is going, isn't it? I'm now frantically trying to think of things that would make Sean Dyche more angry. Uh, <laughs> uh, not Nothing's coming to mind. The Stone Rose is splitting up. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the red hot chili pepper, something like that. You know, Everton are a mess, and I'm not sure there's much Sean Dyche should be able to do to save them. They're the club motto is nil satis nisi optimum, and I think they should just change it to nil. Because <laughs> where are these goals <laughs> going to come from? I asked, I think in the last two pods, did they one, two shots on goal yesterday? Neil Maupay is not just, oh, God, I don't. <laughs> I mean, even when they bought him, I was thinking, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And he scored one goal in. 20 games or something he's on a lose or a, a goalless streak of 17 or 18 games 
and you can't see him clicking into gear anytime soon because he's not the kind of striker they need. He's he's not a target man. Connor Cody was dropped last night for Michael Keane. I, I guess he was dropped. I don't think he was injured because he was on the bench. And yeah, my main note from this game is will Everton ever score again? Because I just do not know where they're going to get the goals from. I feel like what I'd like to add very briefly is that Everton were not a complete disaster until they conceded. And, and there was like a period in the first half when you were starting to think, ooh, are, are Arsenal going to get diced again here? And, and I say this because I think that makes the... Uh, you know, performance after that from Arsenal kind of more impressive. I mean, they they did have their little wobble recently, Arsenal. Uh, And since then, they have been put in situations where you think, you know, it's a young team, all this sort of stuff. You know, they got the sort of light blue Death Star of Man City sort of coming after them. You know, will they cope with the pressure? Well, they cope with the pressure really well, I thought, at Villa Park when they were in trouble there. And again, not everything went to plan up at Leicester, but they got it done. And here, for the first half hour, they didn't create that much. But of course, then you got Saka scoring a goal out of absolutely nothing. And that, that, that for me, is the kind of goal that, you know, you're touting him for uh, player of the year. And, and it makes sense. You know, he, he hasn't scored as many goals as other players. But that kind of goal, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's worth three points. Because Everton weren't actually giving away that many chances early on. And it's not as if they made a huge defensive blunder for that either. It's just Saka is so uh, precise, doesn't need a lot of sp- space at all, uh, gets that ball and whacks it up in the top corner. That was so, so impressive. And the concern for Everton is just how badly they folded after that. And I do think, you know, when Dyche came in, there is, I, I, I maintain this, and I'm going to say it when they do well, I'm going to say it when they've done badly as well. I think there is the, the, the materials here to create a functioning Sean Dyche team. But you need Dominic Calvert-Lewin to be fit. You need the tall man up front. What is Dyche without his tall man up the field? You cannot get it launched towards Neil Mopay as much as he is good at running around and kicking people in the shins and all that. You need to launch that someone. And without Calvert-Lewin, it just seems very toothless. Mm. I mean, just on that on that um, second goal, I mean, Garnagay was under so little pressure that the cameraman the director cut away to like the, the 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 board saying there's four minutes added time because it was like well here's a break in play and it's sort of cut back and Martinelli was just suddenly not- started <laughs> contemplating the meaning of life and you know yeah possible the mark and the whole Barney Roney pigeon will- thing that we were talking about <laughs> Mark says what will happen first will you find your Subaru or will Mopai score a goal for Everton I'm tweeting this before the game to try and uh, tempt fate and Lars is right Barry that the, the Arsenal have shown resolve a couple of times. And okay, this game ultimately was really easy. But for half an hour, you did start to think, ah, Everton are sort of on the break. I agree, they're probably not going to score. But like, it's not straightforward. They haven't got a goal early. Something has to happen. And they've, and they have, they've done it again. And I don't know if, I don't know on your Arsenal-Man City sort of dial what this result does to it. God, I think you're all giving Everton far too much credit. Fair, fair enough. Rubbish. Fair enough. <laughs> they were rubbish and they got spanked. Okay. They never looked like scoring. In the first 40 minutes before Arsenal scored, uh, Arsenal had two shots in the game and Everton had four. Like, it wasn't that three, actually, sorry. But it wasn't, I mean, yes, they got spanked eventually, but they needed the can opener to, to, to get to the, the sweet, sweet content, the stuff contained within. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think games like that, if you don't get that first goal, it can get a bit antsy. 
but, but you don't expect from a Sean Dyche team for them to collapse just as badly badly as they did. I think it does. I'm not, I'm not sure it massively swings the needle because this was the game in hand, right? And I think most people would have expected Arsenal to win it. Still, to my mind, I think it's roughly 50-50 between the two. Uh, if I'm not correct, completely mistaken, I think the betting markets have it at, at that as well. But, you know, it, it, it's something about Arsenal not panicking, uh, is what we've seen in the last few weeks. That they've just kind of carried on doing their thing and not gotten gotten weird and antsy and started doing strange things on the pitch when things go against them a little bit, which I think is very promising for them. Sorry, did, did you watch a different game to me? <laughs> Arsenal were 2 nil up at half-time. They won 4 nil. Why? Yeah, I, I don't know if you heard, but I, I, I was referencing the period of time before the first goal. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but why would you panic if you're scoreless against Everton at home after 40 minutes? I'd, anyway, look, we'll agree to disagree. Anyway, anyway, like I, you can, you can, you can complete this conversation later. Um, not hopefully not during the pod. It's what I'm saying. Everton, like they play Forest and Brentford next, which are huge games, and they've got Chelsea, Spurs, and Manchester United. Uh, so it doesn't look easy for them. Carl says, did anyone else assume Liverpool Wolves was an FA Cup match? I know what you mean. I was just sort of. It's a strange set of games happening at the same time. Uh, they took their time, John, didn't they, Liverpool? But now up to sixth, four consecutive clean sheets. I mean, they were pretty flat at Palace and it, they took their time here. But when you look at the top four, I mean, you look, it's basically who wants fourth place. And it's a bit like last year, sort of nobody wants fourth place. And so Liverpool could get it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the game against Crystal Palace was so bad that no one actually wanted to contemplate Liverpool playing another game. Uh, and then one comes up four or five days later. And yeah, actually, it does appear that the two contenders for, or two of the contenders for top four are Spurs, who we'll get to later, but are absolutely dreadful to watch. And then this new Liverpool, who are god-awful to watch. Uh, though, uh, yeah, who, who, you know, Jürgen's had to go back to basics and... Uh, it feels like we're reliving at times the dog days of Rafa or something like that. I suppose when you look at the the result, um, Virgil van Dijk, Mohamed Salah, uh, it's Liverpool going back to the experienced players that have carried them through for so long. A routine win. Um, and I suppose if we look at Wolves, which we should do, they are another of those teams that I don't know where they're going to score from. And they've got a lot of good players. But they haven't got anyone that can score. Let's hope they're not playing Everton anytime soon, because that would be a terrible match. Well, that would be worse than Palace against Liverpool, <laughs> wouldn't it? You know, but oh, that actually it might be good because it'd be loads of missed chances or something. But yeah, I mean, th- those those are the problematic teams at the bottom. But uh, a routine win for Liverpool, they probably the fans will probably say they haven't received enough praise for for winning this game when it's been such a rocky patch for them. But come on, you should beat Wolves. It's just not that good to watch at the moment. Uh, I, I concur. I, I think they're on a run now, Liverpool. You know, they, they beat Everton at home in a game where Everton were very bad. They, they were absolutely, they offered nothing there. Um, and then they got that win up at Newcastle where, you know, you score on your first two chances and then Nick Pope has, you know, some kind of severe emotional incident and, you know, weird things happen. And then, yeah, Palace was horrible, but it was a point away. And then you... you you get the three points against Wolves. They're kind of ticking along now a little bit. And with well, with Liverpool, you know, the lows have been very low this season. There have been certain games where they've been just abysmal. But sort of glancing under the hood a little bit, like their XG across the season, they've got the third highest in the league. 
So behind Arsenal and Man City, Liverpool have actually had the best attack in terms of creating chances across the board. Defensively, it's been iffy. And maybe as Bruin says, they've not been great to watch recently. Jurgen Klopp has probably adjusted a little bit in terms of risk that they're taking, you know, added a little bit of energy to that midfield. You know, it's 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 kind of going in the right direction and we're getting to it. But I I don't trust the teams above them at all. So so I I have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to end up getting fourth. I'm, I'm going to just throw that out there now. Simicast played well uh, as a replacement for Andy Robertson. And Andy Robertson's one of those players that he feels like he needs a rest because he's been playing for the last century, bombing up and down that wing. So, you know, <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, now, uh, Lars mentioned the XG. Does, does the XG... Uh, adjust for Darwin Nunes being in a team. Uh, no, that's the whole, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of it is that it's meant to show you if the sort of chance creation process is working. And then if your finishers are bad, that's a whole different set of problems that you need to figure out. You want a balance of, you know, players like that and more efficient players, I guess. And actually Barry Jota coming back, I think is quite, it's sort of, no one's really talked about Jota not being around, and I think he's quite a key part for them, or could be in this running. Yeah, and he played very well last night. He was integral in Nunez's disallowed goal. And I have to say, I've watched that incident several times, and I have no idea why it was disallowed. Apparently, there was a foul on Max Kilman. I couldn't see it. And then he, I think he recycled the ball for the, the opener from Virgil van Dijk. And... He's an excellent player on his day, and obviously it's it's great for them to have him back at this sort of busy end of the season. Did anyone think Fabinho should have been sent off? I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been sent off, but I don't necessarily think he should have been sent off. But yeah, I, I think maybe he was a little lucky. Yeah, I, I wondered if, because he was so incandescent about getting booked, the ref thought, well, I can't go to the monitor and have a check and send you off because you've already got angry enough about this. Um, but I thought he was a little bit like, I think it was on Lamina, was it one of those where he sort of turned his back and Lamina slides in and he jumps and lands on him. But yeah, maybe it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't the biggest, most controversial refereeing moment of the last month or two, I would say. Dermot says, um, uh, uh, who would the panel pick from other journalists to help them get off a marooned island? This is from the Burnley Express, where Jurgen Klopp was asked which of his Premier League managerial peers he'd most likely be marooned on a desert island with. And after a little consideration, he landed firmly on Sean Dyche. So uh, a nice image of Jurgen and Sean <laughs> just building a raft or a tent or a raised bed or whatever Bear Grylls wants you to do. Um, Bill says, two Premier League games on. No one in the UK can watch them legally in the UK. I know it's boring to bang that drum, but it really is ridiculous. Do you? I mean, obviously, we all watch this legally because you all came to stay with me in Australia last yeah, night yeah. and have gone back. But it does, John, seem... I don't know it. I mean, it just seems odd, doesn't it? There's so many games on and there's some, you know, there's ITV and BBC have both got FA Cup games on and you're like, I'm just, I just found it all a bit confusing. Yeah, last night was was very, very confusing uh, when I looked at the schedule is how are we going to watch this and there are ways and means. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the, the this thing with matches not being available, um, I think during the pandemic when we were able to watch every game, uh, which was actually pretty backbreaking for those of us that do the minute by minutes. Barry is obviously uh, one of the market leaders here. You realise 
how many games are on and how many of them are bad as well. That's one of the things. And it has been reassuring to have a Saturday 3pm as it, as it should be. And I am an advocate for you know the lower leagues getting some kind of protection from football being shown at all times so people can just watch it at home. But these midweek nights when these games are not that freely available, it does appear... It's all tied into the rights deals. We know that um, eventually there will come a point when all 380 matches will appear. We just don't know when that will be. I know uh, over in the States, uh, MLS, they have this... It's Apple, isn't it? Uh, Lars would know this. Uh, they've got this... You have this season pass and you could watch all the games. I presume that is some sort of industry leading investigation in what it's like if you own all the rights to every game and then uh, people can buy bits off you and uh, you know, syndicate and all that type of thing. I think that's what will happen eventually. Uh, but someone needs to bite the bullet on this. Uh, but yeah, it was ludicrous that, uh, that the Arsenal game wasn't available. Um, and I have to say, there were so many matches on TV last night that I didn't know uh, that Manchester United West Ham was on. So I thought that Barry was minute by minute off an illegal stream, which I thought was a bit naughty. But then I switched on ITV and there was Roy Keenan in right. So there you go. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll do uh, the FA Cup. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, thanks to everyone who got in touch uh, about the disability special, um, especially people who emailed in before the pod to tell their stories. We did read them all. Um, apologies that we didn't have time to read all of them out. Um, uh, next thing for our listeners to do, please, uh, we need your help for a thing that we might be able to mention, but we're not sure yet. <laughs> anyway, we're looking for photos that you have with any Football Weekly panellist, past or present, with details of where and when great if they're from their childhood uh but you know if you ever have had a photo taken with any panelist past or present email them to footballweekly at theguardian.com and allow us to use them uh, that we will take it as read if you email them you don't mind us using those photos thank you uh leo says has midweek fixtures taken a shine off the fa cup which is what is the xm expected magic likely to be when we return to weekend fixtures these says, is this the first time that six of the last eight teams in the FA Cup are between 53.5 and 53.8 latitude. It's almost like the Rugby League quarterfinals. Don't they play football in the Midlands or down south or up north anymore? I don't know the latitude of Grimsby, but let's start with their victory at Southampton. The first team in the fourth tier to make the sixth round since Cambridge United in 1990. Don't get me started on that cup run. Um, They've beaten teams from higher divisions in every round so far. And... Look, they did it with two VAR penalties, Barry, but who cares? Just what a brilliant night for them. Yeah, fantastic night. And they brought over 4,000 fans to St. Mary's 460-mile round trip on a school night. That's good going. I heard their manager, Paul Hurst, being interviewed after the game, and he was asked 
if he had given his side a prayer of beating Southampton and he, he just straight up said no, he was worried they might get an absolute hockeying. And I'll be honest, I wasn't hugely surprised they won this game because Southampton are dreadful. Southampton fielded a team largely comprised of players who can't get in the Southampton team. And uh, Grimsby, yeah, beat them fair and square. Uh, uh, hats off to Robin Cowan, our friend, who greeted the first goal with, What's that they smell? Is it a cup upset? And possibly fish! <laughs> Which, <laughs> uh, obviously a tribute to, to Harry the Haddock, the inflatable that was made famous by Grimsby fans back in the 90s or 80s or 90s. Eight, about 89 was the year of the... Uh... Of the inflatable, you make it. You make it sound like a Chinese New Year, John. I was born in the year of the inflatable. Well, I think I had Barry the silkworm, so you know, from Macclesfield. So uh... <laughs> the goals Southampton gave up were pretty lame, especially the second one. I thought it was a quite soft penalty. Celeste uh, Sar um, sort of cuffed someone in the back with an open palm, and and Orsi, his victim, went down as if he'd be like. Taking a right hook from Tyson Fury. I, I do hope he did. Danilo Orsi, I do hope he's okay. I mean, has that been confirmed? Have we got the x rays back? He, he actually went down a bit like when somebody is like slashed with a samurai sword in a movie, didn't he? That's what I thought. I mean, <laughs> Maybe Charlotte Shaw just has a really sharp arm. Possible. It's possible. But Both those goals are VAR. And if you're a Grimsby player, I presume you haven't played in a game that's got VAR in it that often. So when when there is a VAR decision in a game, do you think, yeah, I've arrived in the big league here, you know, bit of VAR. And it, it must be quite exciting. Oh, yeah, there's a VAR going on here. I've seen this on TV, you know. And, and the other one at the end, uh, Theo Walcott obviously was denied uh, an equaliser by VAR. Do you think Theo Walcott turns around to the rest of the players and say, well, in my day, you see, we didn't have VAR. You know, it's the... It's the as the old man of the dressing room at age, I think he's only 32. Actually, that when Walcott scored, there was the most half-hearted rendition of You're Not Singing Anymore from about four Southampton fans. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. And then obviously the Grimsby fans, the, as the weight went on, the better it got because the closer it got. And then they knew that goal was going to be disallowed. And that was just they were just absolutely delight. And their, you know, their follow-up was much louder. And there was lots of just, you know, people swearing at opposition fans in, I think, a light-hearted and the way it should be done. Anyway, sorry, Lars. Well, just I admire uh, Grimsby manager Paul Hurst's consistency uh, because he, he did... Seem to say that he did say in the post-match interview that he doesn't like VAR very much, which I think if you can stick to the anti-VAR uh, feeling after a game where it's helped you that much, you know, I, I can admire that. You know, then you are very, very consistent in your views, and, and, and I think that's excellent. Yeah, Edward says, as a Sunderland fan, does Barry have any advice for a Southampton fan about to experience the same journey? <laughs> um, don't make a documentary about it. <laughs> 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 It'd be a good one, that you know. It'd be, it'd be very, very interesting. Oh God, there's got to be some Nathan Jones rough cut stuff lying around. Isn't there? <laughs> that could be. Oh, I wonder how Nathan's feeling. Obviously, you know, in the mining town, um, or he's 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 kicking about for a non-league football team, isn't he? Nathan Trouser 
over two million quid for 90 days work he'd probably <laughs> sleeping very well at night oh man i need to say more ridiculous i mean even more ridiculous things and hope the guardian gets shot mind you i don't think i'd get I'm not sure my payoff no i haven't worked it out i mean it's just much better to be an unsuccessful football manager than any other career isn't it this really is just absolutely sensational work let's go to bramall lane beezer says how great is it that spurs fans can go go-karting instead of watching them play the second half of their matches uh, this is with reference to the karting track being built under the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and we'll get there in a second um, Lars this was what Sheffield United B versus Spurs mainly B and it was one of those Spurs games where they were boring they kind of made the opposition boring with them and then there was one I mean it's a brilliant goal from uh, Iliman and Dai it's a terrible goal to concede isn't it yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well there. Uh, it was um, it was dispiriting in the sense that I think Spurs fans have seen them go out meekly uh, in the cup to teams they feel they should be beaten quite a lot recently. Last year they went out to Middlesbrough, before that to Everton, before that Norwich, before that Crystal Palace. So they're on a run, certainly in the FA Cup, of, of just like stuffing it up against teams they kind of feel, yeah, we should be able to get past these. And much attention will inevitably be put on uh, the fact that Harry Kane started on the bench, but, but I think you can't hide from the fact that this 11 on paper should be more than good enough to beat Sheffield United. And, you know, Christian Stellini, the standing coach, said after the game that he, he felt the, 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 the players didn't show their, their regular levels. And, you know, player for player, this Tottenham lineup is stronger on paper than what Sheffield United have. But if you go to Bramall Lane and you don't put in 100%, you know, you're, you're going to get beat pretty easily. And that, that's what happened. Yeah. And I mean, look, Sheffield United made loads of changes. They're more interested in the game at the weekend as well, John. And this is such a, ma- you know, looking at the draw, okay, Manchester United and Man City are still in the cup. But this is this was, you know, and Spurs so desperate for a trophy. This was a real opportunity. I don't understand the, the logic of not going for a trophy. I mean, we've seen how happy Manchester United are after winning the the League Cup, which is the lesser competition. That just this thing in managers, obviously all the money's tied up in Premier League and Premier League positions and Champions League. But giving the fans something to look forward to, be excited about, you saw how excited Newcastle fans were, it really does make a difference. And now it's actually Sheffield United who have that excitement, that cup excitement. Well, of course, as you said, a priority is promotion from the championship. Paul Heckingbottom uh, is doing a very good job there. I think I said on the WhatsApp group last night, I think of all the managers in football, there's something about Paul Heckingbottom that I just find, I think he's probably really, really hard. There's just something about him, that sort of very Yorkshire, stern way that he carries himself. Uh, I imagine that is a very well-disciplined group of players. Do you think harder than Appleton? Well, Michael Appleton, yeah. Well, actually, Michael Appleton obviously uh, has that uh, power-lifting look about him as well, doesn't he? But it, Michael Appleton's quite, when you hear him speak, he's actually quite a soft-hearted, you know. He, he does, he, yeah, he's quite a, quite a, you know, quite a witty, very nice guy. That's not to say that Paul Hagenbottom's lacking in wit. I would never say that, of course. But, um it just looked so stern. And, of course, he was banned, wasn't he? Because he had to go in the Bramall Lane gantry. And the pictures of him, just this guy. I mean, imagine the players can just feel him looking at him, just thinking, we better play well here. 
the thing I don't fully agree with is the idea that Tottenham didn't sufficiently go for it here. Because, I mean, you're starting with Hyun-Min Son and Richarlison, Brazil's number nine, who you spent 70 million on. You've got Heiberg and Saar in midfield, which is probably your best healthy midfield right now. you got Perisic on left wing back, Pedro Porro, who you just spent a ton of money on at right wing back. Like, this wasn't the Tottenham B team at all. You've just uh, you rested one or two players. And... You know, teams do that. Even teams that, I mean, Man United also rested players against West Ham. I, I, I think labeling this as kind of Spurs not showing ambition and whatever, I think that's giving the players who are on the pitch a free pass that they don't really deserve. Uh, I think you have to expect uh, squad players who, you know, and most of them are regulars anyway. Like, I guess Lucas Mora is the only one in the lineup who spent most of the year on the bench. Uh, four-string goal, I suppose. you got to expect them to be able to turn up and play a heavily rotated championship team and put in a good performance. Like That's that's not an unreasonable expectation. So yeah, Tottenham have announced a partnership with Formula One, which will see a karting track built under their stadium. Uh, the best line from the Spurs announcement, um, with music concerts, boxing and rugby now also being staged in London N17, it means an estimated 5.9 billion people globally are interested in events held at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, equating to nearly 80% of the world's population. Barry, what does that what does that even mean? I have no idea, but I've been go-karting and, you know, I went, I think the last time I was there was on a stag do, I think I told you, you know. A pod, one of the lads was so hungover, he vomited in his helmet. Um, <laughs> But, you know, when you go as part of a group, the winner, they record the times and the winner gets a little trophy. So at least someone <laughs> will get to see a trophy lift. At oh, hey. oh, that's very good. I think there's a huge opportunity here as well because you you do kind of name, like, for, for naming. Like, they have the beer that they brew there called the, the one of our own, which I think is risky, by the way, because the player you're referring to might leave at one point and then what do you do with the beer? But anyway... I think if they're not naming this because it's it's a go karting is basically sort of small cars going round and round. If this isn't named like the the Scotty Parker circuits or something <laughs> in honor of the Scott Parker three sixty spin, which I think we all miss the Oliver Skip circuit. Uh, yeah. I mean, Musa Dembele could turn like that, couldn't he? A lot. That that PR statement, you know, uh, if you're in this industry, uh, I, I'm sure all of us get this. You get daily emails. Uh, and you do wonder who's edited this and got signed off that. But that 5.7, half the world's population are interested in Spurs. That is an all-time classic as far as I'm concerned. Nothing has come close to that. 80% of the world's population are interested in events. But as producer Joel says, how, ma- how many Spurs fans are interested in events being held at the Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah. Not as many. It's the remaining 20%. Well done to Blackburn, who won 2-1 at Leicester. Uh, excellent goal from Sammy Smodix, which is one of the best names in football, sort of battered his way through. Wonderful second goal from Sammy Smodix, uh, who battered his way through. Um, and they deserved it. They had all the chances. Daniel Lamarty had a bad day. Um, got a nice email from Harry, who says, Hi, Max and the gang. It's not too much trouble. Could you let your listenership know just how shit Leicester are and what a bad job Brendan Rodgers is doing and indeed has been doing for quite some time, please? Results and performances have been on the slide for about 18 months with the football we've played during that period up there with the least entertaining I've ever seen from a Leicester side. Every player Rodgers inherited has become worse since he arrived with the exception of James Madison and possibly Kelechi Iheanacho when he actually plays and every player signed during his tenure has become worse since they arrived. The entire team is visibly low on confidence and motivation and it's not really any great surprise 
surprise when its manager spent the first half of the season loudly bemoaning his misfortune at being saddled with such a poor squad. And despite all this, Rogers seems to come under next to no pressure at all, either internally or externally. This is all, there's always an excuse or some mitigating circumstances, whether it's injuries, incidentally, or injury record under him is laughable. Form, transfers, the World Cup, the weather, it's never, ever his fault. And should he get us relegated, which anybody's watched Leicester, even occasionally this season, will understand is eminently possible. I fully expect that will remain the case and the gist of the coverage will be that we failed to back our fantastic manager and paid the price. Thanks to whoever ends up reading this moaning. I hope you find your car, Max. P.S. If any of the panel attribute Leicester's problems solely to Madison being out or says anything along the lines of they won the FA Cup, what more do they want? I'm going to throw my phone and then myself into a volcano. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. Uh, that seems dramatic. <laughs> I mean, don't do that. <laughs> Leicester are really not worth it. Well, they play Southampton on Saturday. I shall be there. Uh, and I I must confess, I have seen Leicester recently and they weren't that great. I hadn't realised how much you're going to be attending a relegation six-pointer. So thank you for letting me know that. That's given me something to think about, yeah. On the Brendan Rodgers thing, wasn't there a story going around in the autumn that basically Leicester were too broke to sack him? Like yes. he was, He's on yeah. quite a chunky contract and, and paying him off to make him go away would be very expensive for a club that's a bit low on cash. And John L. Thomason doing a brilliant job. Um, they don't have the parachute payments in the championship, really competing. Um, he did a nice interview with Kelly Cates on Five Live. And he doesn't really end his sentences. So it's quite hard to you, sort of, he'd stop mid-sentence. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I don't know, you know, you're more Scandinavian than I am, Lars. Maybe that's how just he keeps the players on their toes <laughs> in team talks. It's just they need to pay attention because you never know and he'll just stop talking. Possible. Anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three will do uh, the game that Barry invented, Manchester United-West Ham, in just a second. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Manchester United 3, West Ham 1. Barry, you did the MBM for this. The quadruple is still on for United. Yeah, um, it was a good win for them. They were quite poor in the first half. They made six changes. Rashford, Casemiro, Lissandra Martinez and Rafael Varane were all rested. And I suppose it's a, a testament to the good show West Ham put up that all four of them were on the field by uh, when the final whistle went. West Ham went ahead after, after a fairly flat and insipid second half in which Mikel Antonio missed a very good chance to put West Ham at goal up. West Ham scored quite a controversial goal through uh, Saeed Benrama, uh, who, who rifled home after Thomas Suchek may or may not have kept the ball in play. Out by the touchline, I suspect it went out of play. VAR couldn't tell for sure. And Manchester United's players sort of didn't play the whistle and stopped playing, and that that allowed Benrahma to score. And then uh, Casemiro, who's brought on at half time in place of Scott Tominay, he was brilliant again. He had a goal almost identical to the one he scored against Newcastle on Sunday, ruled out for offside, marginal offside. Then Nea Figueres, uh scored an own goal from a corner. The ball sort of bounced off the side of his head and clanked past. Alfonso Ariola, uh, Garnacho made it two-one on ninety minutes with a a lovely curl shot. Fred popped up to take advantage of a mix-up deep in in the added time. So it was not quite the emphatic win the scoreline suggests. And West Ham fielded as I think as strong a team as they could. They made four changes, but uh, from the team that walloped, uh, who did they wallop? Nottingham Forest at the weekend, but three of those four changes were enforced. Jared Bowen was on the bench. He came on. 
but yeah, Manchester United through decent effort from West Ham, but I think they've won on one of their last 21 visits to Old Trafford. It is not a happy hunting ground for them. No, I had a gird down as making it at fault for every goal. I think like he missed a clearance which went out ahead of the gun actually goal and he sort of stood on the ball for the third one. But a, a sad day for him. I wanted last to ask you about Casemiro because a few people have got in touch who watch a lot of La Liga and said actually Casemiro did this for Real Madrid as well. Scored quite a few headers, did attack more than we've kind of, we've kind of pigeonholed him as just a man who just tackled people and gave the ball to Modric. And that's actually slightly disingenuous review of his career at Real Madrid. He would get forward occasionally. I think it's probably something you'd... I mean, his goal-scoring numbers were not great, but he'd do it occasionally. I, I wonder if maybe our impression is coloured a little bit by majority of, of, of people, and certainly pundits, the game, Real Madrid games they have have seen are the ones in the Champions League against English teams mainly, and uh, and he will probably have been a little bit more conservative in, in those matches. But uh, yeah, he's he's been tremendous. I thought, I just want to mention on that, uh, Gerd own goal. It's an own goal. I feel like that should be half credited to Wout Weghorst, uh, just basically pressuring him. And it's, it's a Wout's aura uh, getting an assist at least there, and and also Weghorst winning the ball back for the third goal. I mean, he's a, it's not pretty, but he is kind of useful. The big big Wout. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm obviously a big fan. Um, it's interesting. There is a snobbery around Weghorst, or maybe they're just saying, you know, he wouldn't necessarily get in Manchester United's all-time best 11 John he's not he's not keeping George Best out of the side he's, no he's not keeping Cantona or Mark Hughes out is he uh, no uh, United they, they're just Ten Hag is a cheat among the fans are getting you know the love for this guy is getting very it's intense you know uh, they all call him Baldy uh, so it's like Trust Baldy is the catchphrase I hear from Man United fans, which I quite like. Ben Rama, actually, I should mention, the, the, the West Ham goal scorer. There's a player that seems to divide West Ham fans in two. There's some of them think that he's the best player in the squad, uh, the most creative player. A lot of the time I've seen him, he will produce something, you know, hugely impressive, but that he that he is one of those players that doesn't chase the ball hard enough. Now, you might say that that makes him a traditional West Ham player of the last you know, 50 years or so. Uh, but it, it appears to me that a lot of the time David Moyes falls on the side of those fans that don't think Ben Rama is the best player in the squad. But um, th th there's a culture war there. And, and of course, um, talking of West Ham, I, I don't know if you were going to mention it, Roy Keane's takedown of uh, Declan Rice in the post-match uh, was, uh, well, it was... I just thought what he said was total nonsense. He doesn't need to score more goals. What's he talking about? Well, someone needs to score more goals, I think. But uh, That's uh, not your holding midfielder's job. No. <laughs> it's like you're looking at a guy who's doing a great job as a holding midfielder and say, well, he needs to score more goals. Like, what are you talking about? I, I, think, I think Roy Keane is speaking from the experiences that he had as a similarly aged player, maybe, maybe a bit younger when... He was Forrest's essentially best player when Forrest went down in that first Premier League season and you're forced to carry a team and uh, too much is asked of him uh, and he just thinks that... And it's a good point, actually, that he makes that f from within West Ham, there is this talk, and David Moyes has said it in public, that they expect to get £100 million for Declan Rice. 
when they cash him out at the end of this season, which is surely what's going to happen. And it just feels like he is being, you know, teased out at the market. Hey, you can have this guy when his performances haven't been as good as they have been in previous seasons. So I should stress, I should stress my incredulous. What are you talking about? Was meant for Roy Keane, not for John Bruin, whose opinions I respect. <laughs> whose opinions I expect I respect tremendously. Unlike um, Roy Keane, they're one and the same. Uh, Dave says after twelve consecutive away ties, now losing two nil to a team that generated zero point one nine xg. Is it just time to admit that the FA Cup is not for us? He is a Leeds fan. It's another game, Barry, where we can say Leeds create a lot. Of quite unlucky in this game, weren't they? I thought this game could have gone either way. Uh, and Leeds just didn't get the rub of the green. I think they had more chances. But the two Fulham goals were a bit special. That Polina screamer from distance. What a goal. What a strike. And then uh, Manor Solomon uh, pops up and scores the same goal for the fourth game in a row, which is quite remarkable. You would think maybe after the second one, opposition managers might have gone, you know something, lads? This guy has a habit of cutting in from the left, curling the ball around the keeper and inside the far post. Maybe we should hatch some sort of plan to stop him doing that. But it is quite remarkable that he has managed to score the exact same goal <laughs> in four games in succession. Yeah, it's like sensible soccer. It's like a, it's like a cheat code. You know, it's like kick off two, isn't it? But, but I'm excited. To, I mean, I'm, I just want to say I'm excited to see this because Manor Solomon was like. I hadn't seen him a lot. I'd seen him a couple of games for Shakhtar and thought, ooh, hello. Like, because he's quite technical and tricksy and you think it could be a player there. And when Fulham brought him in, I was like, ooh, that's, you know, that's a spicy signing for Fulham. And then we, like, didn't see him at all in the autumn. I think he was injured. Uh, he just wasn't. And now he's turned up and, and he is very exciting, adding more excitement to an already tremendous Fulham season. Uh, Nathaniel says, I had a vasectomy on Tuesday, but I wasn't allowed to listen to my phone. Sad I wasn't able to join the Guardian Football Weekly Vasectomy Listening Club. I wonder if no headphones is an NHS policy if other listeners went private. Also, how shit was the ref in the Fulham-Leeds game? I mean, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. Leeds just can't score goals. But we wish you well with your uh, recovery, uh, Nathaniel. Um, uh, Brighton won one at Stoke. Uh, lovely ball from Lewis Dunk. I didn't know he had that in his locker. On his 400th appearance for Brighton, went to Matoma to set up uh, soon to be English, Evan Ferguson. I'm kidding. Lots of Irish people were furious when we suggested that Evan Ferguson oh, oh, were really oh, oh, upset. I, I think I'm using people like Barry didn't defend him enough. You didn't go Irish enough when we suggested we might be able to steal him. Anyway, it's all right. You can have him. Uh, but yeah, Brighton through as well. And Man City won 3 0 at Bristol City. Um, uh, the first goal was lovely, involving Mares and Kevin De Bruyne. Good finish from Foden. And Bristol City had one really good chance at 1-0. And then City went on. Foden played really well in this game, and he played well at the weekend, didn't he? And said he was glad to be over the worst period of his career, which sort of off the pitch was just quite large moths around now outside here. Um, sort of the size of houses, aren't they? Uh, if the pod finishes very quickly and I've been eaten by a moth. Should be a really horrible way to go. Anyway, yeah, I mean, we don't know what happens off the pitch, John. We don't know what's happening off the pitch with Phil Foden, but, you know, he was put on the bench for a couple of weeks. So that if that is the worst moment of his career, just in pure footballing terms, he's going to have a great career, isn't he? Yeah, he's had quite a good career so far, hasn't he, you'd have to say. What would his greatest disappointment, I suppose, would be missing out on Euro 2020 final uh, because of injury. But other than that, he's had quite a gilded existence. One of those players who... City have just always known was going to be good and his career path has been excellent. But I suppose what he has been feeling 
recently, and he's not alone in this, uh, is that Pep is not that happy with his team and is moving it around a bit. Obviously, you've had the Cancelo thing. You've seen De Bruyne dropped out of the team now and again. It feels like Foden's been, if not the victim, uh, has, has, has felt that. Uh, and um, it often feels as if uh, Jack Grealish is a favourite of Pep, which we wouldn't have expected. But I think it's for that, that capability that Grealish carries the ball, draws players away, passes it nicely, and then decorate the overload that Pep wants. And so we can do what Barry referred to earlier as the Manchester City goal. Burnley beat Fleetwood 1-0. Uh, Keenan Hayes got a red card for Fleetwood, which was one of those slightly unlucky, raised his boot, probably was a red, but Fleetwood were down to 10 men for more than a half and let a goal in in the 90th minute. But that means Burnley into the quarterfinals for the first time in 20 years. Vincent Company going to the Etihad. That is good in the draw, isn't it? Uh, Fulham going to Old Trafford, Brighton, Grimsby and Sheffield United, Blackburn. Lars, you're shaking your head. Well, I know. I'm just uh, in, in a positive way. Like, I guess we don't speak about the EFL that much on the pod but like just a quick word about how well Burnley are doing and Winston Company because I thought you know Burnley you know they've just gone down they bring in a fairly inexperienced uh, manager who talks a lot about wanting to play the Man City Pep Guardiola way to go into the championship with a team that used to play the Sean Dyche way and have just gotten relegated I hold my hands up. I was like, well, this is going to last until October at the most. Like, this is going to be a total disaster. But there they are, top of the table, through in the cup, you know, playing tremendous football by all accounts, scoring a ton of goals. Incredible job by uh, by Vincent Company at, uh, at Burnley this season. I suppose the only thing that, that I've heard about Vincent Company uh, as a manager is that a, a group of players that you wouldn't expect to play in that, I suppose, Manchester City way, he's trusted them to play that way. And... and a lot of the time, if you ask players to play this way, they'll respond to it well. Um, and that's obviously what's happened. And there are certain managers or players that you think could become a manager. Or, or, or There's sort of two types of this one. That you, certain players you think, that's going to be a great manager. Brian Robson was one. Uh, he wasn't. Uh, and then you might think someone maybe like Steven Gerrard might be a good manager. Well, OK, that's up for debate. Vincent Company is another of those that you think could be a good manager because he's got such a big personality, such a you know the natural leader. But it does appear that he has uh, tactical knowledge as well to go with it and surrounds himself with good people. So promising signs so far. And 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 Burnley, when I have seen them, have been a treat to watch. All right, let's talk about Ivan Tony for a second. Uh, Nick Ames writing in the Guardian, he's braced for a lengthy ban after accepting multiple charges of breaching the FA's betting rules. Um, uh, he admitted. Many, but not all of the 262 charges made by the FA in November and December. Uh, he's expected to contest them at an FA disciplinary hearing that will decide his fate. Uh, there are precedents. Uh, Joey Barton, who was on Burnley's books at the end of his career when he received an 18-month ban reduced to 13 on appeal after accepting charges that he'd placed 1,260 bets on football matches between 2006 and 2013. Um, Ivan Tony said, I was shocked and disappointed to see press speculation yesterday and today about the FA investigation process concerning me after I've been told by the FA it's confidential. It's especially disturbing for me to read that the FA is saying I shall be banned from football for six months 
before there's even been a hearing and it doesn't make me worried about the process. My lawyers will be writing to the FA to request that they conduct a leak inquiry as this is the second time stories have appeared in the newspapers. The last time was just before the selection for the England World Cup squad. As I continue to be told, the investigation is meant to be confidential and I'm unable to provide any further comment. I shall continue to concentrate on my football. And we, we get this situation, Barry, where rules are rules and players know the rules, but there is a sort of madness that I think um, the big step who you know we've had on um, you know, talking about gambling addiction, had four different pictures of Ivan Tony in his career, all wearing shirts sponsored by bookies or holding up like a Skybet trophy or whatever. And it just seems, it seems out of kilter that the amount of gambling is in football and the amount and the length of punishments for players. Yeah, he broke the rules. He was stupid to bet. He was stupid to get caught. Uh, I presume someone dobbed him in from a, a betting firm. And he can have no complaints about any punishment he gets, but I think he's right to be concerned about how the process is going. Uh, and, yeah, he's not allowed to bet, but he's allowed to wear a shirt promoting a betting company. He's allowed to play in leagues sponsored by betting companies in stadiums named after betting companies owned by the chairwoman of a betting company. And these matches are often broadcast by TV stations who have, you know, subject viewers to relentless barrages of gambling adverts. So, you know, it, it does seem slightly weird that uh, everyone, you know, the, the FA or the, the Premier League or whoever gets so upset when someone breaks the rules, when they're subjected to that much exposure about gambling. It does seem like a lot, 260 alleged breaches but it was over quite a long period. I think if you boil it down, it amounts to about four bets a week or something like that. So it's not like he's, you know, constantly on the phone chasing losses or whatever. He he is facing a lengthy ban and I suppose he deserves it. You remember we spoke to Save Our South End, uh, that campaign in early February. They had an outstanding 1.4 million tax bill to be paid uh, before a winding up hearing yesterday. A statement from the club says, ahead of the hearing, the club can confirm the monies owed to the HMRC under the petition have been paid in full. Funds as working capital have also been injected to help South End United over the coming months. The club's objective is to regain its future as a club within the Football League at the earliest opportunity. So that is good news. There are clearly still issues that need resolving. Um, staff pay included, but at least the club continue to operate uh, for now. Um, we'll speak to Philippe soon on Juste Fontaine, the um, French legend, uh, was a World Cup record goal scorer, passed away at the age of 89. Um, 13 goals in six World Cup finals is a record. Uh, Sweden 1958, uh, world record for a single tournament. Um, 18 goals in 1958 with the French team is a one-year record. Uh, scored eight consecutive games for France that's a record 164 goals in 200 league matches including 152 in 145 with Stade de Rheim so uh, when Philippe is on uh, we will talk about that and we'll finish with we got so many emails after um, Chris got in touch to say he was going to be listening to the pod to five pods in succession while running the North Pole Marathon uh, on the subject of people who listen to the pod while quite a long way away uh, Kathleen says uh, enjoyed the story of your man heading off to the Arctic and keeping up with your pods. Last November and December, I stayed in the Corcovado rainforest in Costa Rica with no access to watch the World Cup. 
Over limited Wi-Fi, I schedule to download your show each day. I always wanted to reach out and say thank you for the riveting commentary, but I figured it was lame. So I needed a nudge today. Your company had fierce contests with howler monkeys, boa constrictors, and scarlet macaws lurking outside my room or along my daily walk. And then Kathleen writes in Gaelic, I believe, Barry, go rabe mil maith agabe. What does that mean? Skoramila Mahagot. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, This is from Sterling. Dear Max and Co, heard your feature on the North Pole Charity Contact. We'd like to let you know the pod makes it all the way to the other end of the globe as a regular feature for my listening pleasure in the Falkland Islands um, from Sterling and all the penguins. David says, uh, well, not as remote as the North Pole. Um, You can rest assured the pod generates a lot of good staff from talk at the British School of Madagascar and pod chat at the local Irish bar, £7 for a can of Guinness. Thanks to everyone for making me grin like an idiot on my way to and from work. Uh, this country has a problem with secondhand stolen cars being imported. I will keep an eye out for the Subaru. And Christopher says, a couple more. Christopher says, following your call out for remote listeners, I thought I'd send a note to say hello from Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, it's a brilliant city, not remote in population terms. As a regular listener of the pod, I often wonder how many others are listening in from the banks of the Congo River. Uh, the pod is a cherished little link to home, keeps me sane as I undertake much more humble challenges like the washing up or waiting out rainstorms rather than running the North Pole Marathon. I mentioned um, that Darrow O'Brien had done a gig, but I couldn't remember where. So it was in Svalbard, which is, I think, basically a, a research centre somewhere halfway between Norway and the, the North Pole. Is that correct? Uh, well, it's um, there used to be mining up there. Whether there is still mining, I should know this. But it's a Norwegian archipelago, kind of halfway between Norway and the North Pole, I suppose. It's uh, I, I think there's something like uh, two thousand people live there, two three thousand. Uh, but but and it's very, it's enormously remote. It's one of those places where like polar bears like will quite literally roam the streets occasionally. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's 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 quite something. But Dara's agent, who's my mate, he was saying that everyone there has to carry a gun, has to undergo firearms training. Well, uh, when camping, when, when camping, certainly not when you go to the shop, like. But if you're going on, like, uh, for research purposes, like you said, there's there's research and stuff being done. If you're going out into the wilderness to camp, then you definitely need need a weapon, yeah, because the the polar bears will will come and inspect what's going on. And if they're hungry, then, you know, that's bad for you. Speaking of uh, mining, Tom says, hey, fellas, I've been listening to the podcast for about four years now. I've been tempted to get in touch a few times. On the last pod, I was literally called to contact you as I listen from about as remote as you can get. I listen to you while I work in a gold mine around 100 kilometers from the small village of Mayo in the Yukon Territory. I Google mapped the Yukon Territory in this place. If you're 100K from Mayo... You're a long way from anything. There's not many streets there. Your analysis and humour have helped me through the long, dark winter days up here, often bring me to laughter and tears in what is usually a rather emotionless environment. As an Australian in Canada, the daily podcast during the World Cup were particularly enjoyable. Your specials on the more serious human aspects of football are always a highlight for me. Please keep them coming. A shout out to Drew, who listens to the podcast in South Melbourne and has been going through a tough time lately. Sorry, Max, I imagine he's got enough on his plate already without helping you look for your Subaru. Uh, all the best to you, Drew. And thank you very much, Tom. And uh, we'll look to do a live show in the in the Yukon uh, in the near future. I, I want to do the live show in Svalbard. I mean, that was amazing. That's amazing. You know, a couple of years ago, there was a polar bear that broke into the sort of pantry of the hotel up there and like drunk loads of wine and just legged it when it got caught. Shame it legged it. It'd be much better if he was just lying there, just in a chair, just <laughs> just absolutely hammered. Anyway. 
Now we're talking about drunk polar bears. It's probably time to end the pod, isn't it? Um, thank you, John. Cheers. Thanks, Lars. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 